they project in the next 20 years, 50% of American children under 18 years old will be either diabetic or pre-diabetic. All right, everybody, welcome to the Ty Lopez Show. I've got a very special guest, Tom Bilyeu. We're going to be talking about how he built a snack protein bar empire, 1.5 million bars per day you're moving. Is that right? 1.5. How many countries are you in? Ooh, God, it was like 92 when I left. So I haven't been there for about a year. Uh, but when I left, it was 92. I'm going to guess they've got more now. 92. So we're going to be talking about all kinds of business tips. We have my cousin, Maya. Here we have Zach running sound effects. <laughs> nice. Zach likes to give himself sound effects mostly. but So let's just jump into this and let's give some practical tips. What is, if this, let's pretend this was the end of the podcast at the beginning. If today was your last day on planet Earth, you were going with Elon Musk to Mars. And do you, don't, do you have kids? I do not. Okay. Let's say you had a nephew or somebody you cared about and you wanted to leave them like a one paragraph summary of what it took for you to take a business from zero to 1.5 million bars sold per day of these different Quest bars, protein bars. What would that one paragraph say? Like the cutting right to the chase, like here's what you need to know to build a business. Here's what you need to know to market it and grow it. But as summarized as possible. All right, here it goes. What you build your self-esteem around matters. Most people build their self-esteem around being right, having the right answer, uh, being good, being smart, and all of those things are a death trap. And so, dear nephew, I guess. Nephew. uh, Don't make that mistake. And instead, build your self-esteem around being the learner, being the person that's willing to admit that they're wrong at any time, faster than anybody else, to be willing to sit at the feet of anybody and learn and take a good idea from wherever it comes. And if you build not only your self-esteem around that, which is very anti-fragile, because if somebody tries to attack you and tell you that you're stupid, you're like, yes, indeed, awesome, just tell me in what way, because once I know how I'm stupid, then I can go shore that up, and I don't build any value in myself around being smart anyway, so that doesn't matter to me, but now I get a skill, and that skill is usable, and that usability is what I'm all about. Um, and then on top of that, it it really is the only way that you're ever going to really reach your full potential. And for me, the very meaning of life is to find out how many skills you can acquire that have utility and then put that utility to the test in service of something bigger than yourself. So kind of, it's almost like an adventurous approach to business. It's like, I, t- I, I tweeted the other day and it, got, it kind of went viral. I said, you know, one of the ways to not be so stressed out is to see life as an adventure versus accomplishment. The second you see exact accomplishment of a goal as your primary um, objective, you oftentimes don't get it. And then you fall apart and then you feel stressed. But if you see the goal, like you're saying, in other words, is your goal is not always to be right. Your goal is the adventure of figuring out what's right, no matter who you have to ask. And oftentimes, your first idea almost always is not your best idea in business. What was the what did Quest Bar look like at the beginning? So like we're see the end result of this hyper successful business that you founded uh selling you know millions of these in over what what do you say 70 countries or 90 countries? 90 countries, yeah. What did it look like at the beginning? Did you instantly have this exact idea like it'll look like this, it'll have these flavors, it, you know, or it'll be at this price point or did that evolve? What was the original idea? What did it look like? 
So we knew it was going to be a protein bar. So that much really um, was right from the jump. And, and we knew that it had to be something that was metabolically real. So that was our whole thing. It has to be metabolically advantageous. And so we had built a successful company before this, but it was in software. And um, I actually went in and quit. So I had worked my way from copywriter to chief marketing officer. I'd earned equity in the company just through busting ass, quite frankly. And um, so, I, you know, I'm I'm in this now by that point for like almost seven years. Um, I'm burned out. I'm making more money than I've ever made in my life on paper. I'm a multimillionaire. Um, and I'm just like, I'm so fucking miserable. Like, get me out of here. And so I went in and quit. And I was like, I'm living the cliche of money can't buy happiness. Um, so guys, here's your equity back. You know, if I don't cross the finish line, I shouldn't get anything for this. So um, you're never going to hear from me again if you so sell you, the company. you gave your shares back. Literally. And okay. uh, I was like, you know, here it is. Uh, Cause I, I was leaving, right? So it was like, hey, go do your thing. I wish you the best. I just can't keep doing this anymore. I need to do something where I feel alive. And um, in doing that, it they, so they didn't want me to quit. And they said, hey, look, we could do this without you, but we don't want to. That let me reconnect to something other than the money, which was at that point in my life, I needed that so badly because I had been chasing money just like straight up Scrooge McDuck style for like, <laughs> you know, at that point, like a very long time, seven years, a long Scrooge time. McDuck? So like just, literally- the Disney just, version? Yeah, just <laughs> fantasies of like swimming in my money, right? Like that, just money, money, money. Did you ever like and, put on your bed and throw it and like lie down? Did you oh. do what? Wall, Wall Street stuff? <laughs> no, I wasn't crazy like that. It was, you know, for me, I used to say I would do anything um, that I needed to to be successful within my code of ethics. So it's like, there's just certain things that I believe in and willing to do. And, and that may have been part of the frustration, right? Is that trying to do something that you're not passionate about, but doing it always in a way that you can feel good about, like gets really hard. So I wanted to tap into my passion. I wanted to do something not just in an ethical way, but that I was deeply passionate about that I really cared about. And so that was my pitch back when they said, come work with us still. Um, I said, it would have to be something that's all about value creation. It would have to be something that we're deeply passionate about. It would have to be something that um, really addresses a big problem. And that, and the words I was using at the time were, I, I want to be me. I want to be myself. So there was no um, social media at the time. There was like all of the things we think of now as what year? What year did you start this? Uh, the software company? No, the Quest bar, you quit. What was the year you quit? Well, so I quit on the technology company, not yes. Quest. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, on the technology. When so did you quit? So that was, would have been like 2007. So just about 10 years ago. So 2007, you quit. There's a three-year lapse. But 20, what happened in those three years? Were you just relaxing? Yeah, yeah <laughs> not quite. So um, they convinced me to come back, and we all agree that we're going to set a benchmark for the software company. If we hit the benchmark, then we'll keep rocking it. And if we don't hit the benchmark, we'll sell it and start this uh, thing that's all going to be about value and passion and all of that. We failed to hit the benchmarks, so we, um, we didn't sell the company right away, but we immediately began building out what would eventually become Quest Nutrition and get launched in 2010. Um, but there was, I mean, like two-plus years of behind the scenes, like working on the formulation, that kind of stuff before we officially launched. So, so do you think people should take, there's different schools of thought in business. There's the quick launch, lean startup approach, very famous book, lean startup, where you basically, uh, kind of what Facebook does. Mark Zuckerberg says, grow so fast, you break a lot of things, you're launching before you're ready. Sounded Now there's other people that disagree with that formula. For example, Snapchat, Evan Spiegel, the founder of Snapchat uh, just recently went on and there was an article about him saying he doesn't believe that. He likes to make sure it's really good and beta tested. And it sounds like you might be a little more in that school of thought of going slower. Well, so because it took you two years to formulate it. Yeah, yeah. But I will say that we were still 
launching what I'd call a minimum viable product. So it was hard as hell to manufacture. That was problem number one. Problem number two, we didn't have the ideal fiber fiber source. So that was something that we changed in like the first six months after What launch. is the fiber source now? So now, um, in fact, it, it depends on when uh, you bought the bars. But we used These two... are 18 years old. So. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> These are 18 years we, old. Uh, we used two different ones. So originally it was... Actually, we've, we've used three now. Um, but the... Um, the one that is used in this one is soluble corn fiber. Soluble corn fiber. For those of you just listening in, we're talking to Tom Billu. Started Quest bar, snack, uh, protein bars. One point five million a day are being sold. They have there. There a lot of people will know these bars if you work out or in a gym. They've got one gram of sugar. So, but they taste like they have more two sugar. Two grams. This one has two. One or two grams. It's not much. A, a sprite. A bottle of Sprite has about forty grams of sugar in america so, in europe in america it's only yeah 20 in europe grams. They, they cut it it's not as good and then of course what do these have in protein they got 15 grams 20 grams so they got a lot pretty high protein 20 is fairly high i'm drinking a protein shake most protein shakes that you have are between 20 and 30 um you know uh, grams of protein so this is so what do you think not to bounce around here but somebody was asking on the live the fiber component, has that been a big thing that makes differentiate your bars, not just the protein and low sugar? It, it certainly did in the beginning. So in the beginning, nobody was really using a liquid fiber like we were using. Everybody was using, um, you know, a liquid sugar or glycerin or something like that to make the bar pliable enough to run through the equipment, which is really like, man, you want to get into the nitty gritty of like the how we made this thing work. Yeah, let's do it that. It was, I'm sure that there were a lot of people that had a formulation similar to ours, but when they went to the co-manufacturers, they said it can't be made. And it's actually true. Like that bar couldn't be made on traditional equipment. Um, but what we ended up doing was realizing that it, it's only because all the equipment that exists that you could buy sort of off the shelf, if you will, had grown up in the world where everyone's using um, liquid sugar. So if you say, well, we can make it if we make new equipment, then suddenly the doors open and nobody else had done that. So we became our own manufacturer. So you made your and, own equipment. Correct. You had to like vertically integrate. And you're using for sugar. I see you're using, you're not using xylitol. Uh, you're using erythritol? Erythritol in some of the bars. Why yeah. do you like that above? So these, if you don't know, are basically sh sweet tasting things that don't spike up your, your glycemic. I mean, they don't have a messed up glycemic index. Response, yeah. yeah. Your body, you know, my, my friend, Dr. Fresco that you guys know. He basically, did you see for a month, he took a uh, glucose meter and he literally had it embedded in his stomach he, with a needle. Zach would love that. To go for one month with a needle for in his stomach. For one month, he walked around with a needle in his stomach. In his stomach. It How literally. Do you move around. Well, it was like kind of under his skin. It's but the, subcutaneous, so yeah. it's not like jabbed into his actual stomach. Yeah. It's not like but, a rabies shot. Oh, I see. So it, but it's it hurts. It, you would needle. A needle. Under the skin. Yeah. yeah. Correct. Kind of needle. Let me Zach tell you. loves needles. Zach will faint if that happens. <laughs> but he walked around and everything he ate, he could see. And you know what? It's exactly kind of what science says. It's like if you eat uh, a Snickers bar, it goes boom. And there's something – I've been testing my blood. I'm working on a book. I can't release it for two years because it's four years of me testing my blood once a month and trying every known supplement. And there's, two, there's something called your A1C score, which basically looks back at the last three months of your kind of – it's this is a – 
not a, this is a layman's uh, explanation, but it looks back and it tells you what your average uh, glucose level has been. And for a lot of people in America, it's insane. They project in the next 20 years, 50% of American children under 18 years old, okay, will be either diabetic or pre-diabetic. Now, your bar, let's talk real quick, not to bounce around, Zach, but I like to kind of... are taking notes about that? Zach's taking notes. Well, for possible questions. Let's oh. talk about the sugar. Why is the sugar... And by the way, this is not an advertisement for Quest. They did not pay me or anything. <laughs> but I'm genuinely interested, and a lot of people are. Why does this approach to sugar work better? There's so many snack bars out there, and mm. some of them have insane amount of sugar. Some of them like 10, 20 grams of sugar. So what is this specific approach? How does it work? So our thing was we wanted to make something that tasted like it had sugar but didn't have sugar. And so the only way to do that is to have some sort of either natural or artificial sweetener. There's no way around that. Um, as yummy as nut butters are, they, they don't taste like candy. Um, so we did want to sweeten them with something. And that was the that one that you listed is a natural sweetener. But we also use um, some artificial sweeteners as well and just they're, I mean, they're hundreds of times more sweet than sugar. So you put very, very, like vanishingly small amounts in there and yep. it tastes very, very sweet. Um, so they're very palatable. The reason that we used erythritol, the one that you read, that one specifically does not have the GI distress that a lot of the other... Um, Glycemic index. Well, the atolls that you listed, yeah. right? So people will get um, bloating, cramping, pain, diarrhea, whatever from other ones. That one is, most people can tolerate it. Have so you I had look- that, Zach? <laughs> Bloating. Gas? <laughs> Bloating. <laughs> what about xylitol? I mean, versus erythritol? Yeah. Literally, other than um, erythritol, I wouldn't mess with any of those. So I had a, a horrific experience with lactitol. Uh, if you've ever heard of that one. That so one didn't even this sound good. before I got into nutrition. <laughs> And uh, I had just started a low-carb diet, and I found these um, Reese's peanut butter cups that were made with um, lactitol. And I didn't know what that was. Like so I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> so my friend and I split a half bag, and we mowed through this. You ate that bag is too many in general. Half bag, a half bag <laughs> in my defense. And it, the, the level of cramping was unreal. It hurt so bad. So yeah, I learned, I learned that lesson in a very visceral way. So you got to be very careful. Literally. Yeah. Okay, let's go back to, to this. We got. A, I want. I was following a comment here live, so we're back. You're two years into the business. Between 2008, 2009, you're manufacturing your own equipment. What? How do you decide today's the day to launch? It's 2010. Let's go. So the good news is we were doing it online, so it was a relatively soft launch. Nobody knew who we were, and we put it out there, ran some ads against it. Um, you know, with uh, taglines like the first. Uh, protein bar is not a candy bar in disguise, like things like that, trying to get people to click over. But huh. really, the gains came when we started going to uh, bodybuilding competitions. And oh, really? Getting people, yeah, because they were all like, oh, I don't eat protein bars. I don't eat protein bars. They're all junk. And we said, look, read the ingredients on it and try this one. And so they did. And we had a huge influencer push even before the word influencer was really being kicked around um, and, and just went hard after athletes that were physical culturalists, people that would really care about what they were eating, understand what they were eating. Many of them were already testing their blood levels. So we knew if they get it and they like it and adopt it, that this could really blow up. So do you think for somebody listening that for many businesses, besides even the snack bar, 
that the influencer route is the new way to launch. I mean, it's not even new. They were using celebrities back, you know, Coca-Cola and Pepsi in the 1970s and 80s. But do you still think that, like, since that worked for you, if you were building another business, would you go down that route very early in the business? Yeah, no question. No question. If you have a product that really delivers value to people's lives and you have something that's going to speak to a given niche and there's an influencer in that niche that's going to understand and actually use your product and actually be their life is going to be improved by it, then they're going to sing its praises both because they have a partnership with you and then other times they're just using it in their life. And so they can really authentically get behind it and talk about it. And I think in, in, uh, forever, everybody is always taking word of mouth over what you see in an advertisement right. or something. So, um, influencer marketing is essentially word of mouth from someone you trust. Did you, so did you all pay them ever or was it always free? Um, in the beginning it was always free. It yep. was just product. We would send them free product and ask them to talk about it. And then as we grew, then yeah, we ultimately were paying some people. So are you still active now? No, not okay. at Quest. When did you kind of bow out almost exactly a year ago okay so let's talk about that fast forward for somebody watching what is the end game besides helping the world but like just practically do you did you make the decision i want to replace myself with a ceo i want to sell my i mean you don't have to get into the exact private details but what was the mindset were you bored were you ready for something new what was it um, I always knew that there were going to be two things that I would do with my life. One was addressing the pandemic of the body. Maya and I were talking about this earlier. And the other is the pandemic of the mind. And originally I'd hoped Quest would be my forever company and I was never going to need to sell it. And I learned a very painful and powerful brand lesson, which is that when people think of you as the protein bar guy and you start making a show all about the mind, right. everybody's <laughs> going, what on earth are you doing? And, um, you know, my, my partners were, going to have to go on that very long, very expensive journey with me of expanding the brand. We didn't necessarily share the vision on the importance of introducing the mind to the brand. The consumers were resistant to that becoming a part of the brand. Who likes minds? Right? Yes. It's so crazy. Who, who, do you, is it publicly known who bought you? That? We didn't sell. So okay, you did not I, there sell. were three equal partners. So we took a small investment, but because the company was valued at over a billion dollars, it just like from a raw dollar standpoint, it was fucking massive. Yeah. Um, so, so it's hard to sell. I had um, the cash where I didn't have to stay and have any sort of pressures. Um, and my wife and I just asked, you know, um, do we buy an island and retire and just not worry about this anymore? Or do we double down and build something new? And that's where impact theory came in, which is meant to address what I consider the pandemic of the mind. So going back to this kind of practical thing, you've got two other business partners for someone listening who has a business partner, what are some things you learned that are important, the do's and do nots of finding a business partner and then growing and staying peaceably, you know, all, everybody happy with each other? So it is like a marriage, exactly like a marriage. So just like you need to date and fall in love and go through a courtship phase um, with the person who's going to become your significant other, you need to do the same thing in business. And my partners and I had a chance to get to know each other um, even before your business was involved at all. And then they originally hired me as a copywriter. So really got to see what each of us were like. And oh, that's we how were, you started. They hired yeah. you. 
So that was back huh. at the technology company. They hired me as a copywriter and they said, Hey, look, this is a startup. Don't think of yourself as a copywriter. Being a copywriter is just the tuition you have to pay. Uh, but Hey, we're entrepreneurs. So if there's anything you want to learn, we'll help you. And, um, I took them seriously. They said, you can have any job in the company you want. You just have to become the right person for that job. So you got to learn the skills. And I just put my head down for, you know, whatever. Seven years. Yeah. That was by the time that I quit, but but certainly didn't stop. But um, I had, by that point, I'd already made my way to chief marketing officer and stuff. So, but I, I literally didn't take a day off for like six years. It was crazy. You did the Bill Gates formula. Let me do a quick Snapchat. I want to say, I'm here with Tom Bilyeu. He founded Quest Mars, one of the founders. They're now a billion dollar company and uh, selling what? 1.5 million snack bars a day? Yep. What's the number one thing people need to know you've learned in business? Oh, always be learning. Always be learning. That's just the the truth of it all. And what you what were you saying about your self esteem? That was interesting. Yeah, what you build your self esteem around matters. So that was the biggest breakthrough for me. I found myself arguing for an idea that was actually stupid and dumb and moved me away from my goals. But I wanted to be right so badly, even though I knew it was the wrong answer. I just kept fighting for it. And in that moment, I had a crisis because I was like, Do I want to get rich? Was was my stated goal at the time, or do I want to be right? Because I'm acting like I want to be right, um, but I'm saying that I want to be rich. So in trying to reconcile those two, I realized I needed to feel good about myself, but I could change what I felt good about myself for. And so I switched better to, to being, being the learner. It's better to be rich than always right. Uh, 100%. <laughs> better to be happy than always also right. Also true. I mean, yeah, no question. All right. I'm going to do a quick $100 giveaway. So here's the question. How long ago, and we're going to do this for Facebook, how long ago did Tom uh, step back from Quest Bars and kind of take a break? He said it. How long ago? This is for, by the way, for Facebook. Yeah, but we get, don't say it, don't say it, because we're on Facebook. Look at, look at, we're finally getting right answers. This is so exciting. <laughs> Two years ago? No. Brian Jimenez? No. Albert said 10 years ago. Wow. Zach, the sound's killing me. Thank you. <laughs> Once is enough. No, how long ago did he kind of retire from the business? You guys are confusing the question with how, when he started. Max, three years. God, you guys are not listening. Almost one year to the day. Angel Shelburne. That is correct. Women listen better than men sometimes. <laughs> guys some, are like, some, 10 years ago. Sometimes or all the time. Maya, what do you think? Let's, let's ask Maya this. Maya, what's your experience? Maya's kind of one of the CEOs of my company. What's your experience, men versus women? What's better about women than men in general? Um, well, business-wise, I think that women tend to execute better. So I think guys are possibly more creative, but as far as when it comes down to doing the actual detail stuff and practical things that you need to actually put your business into play, I think women seem what to about be events? better at executing. Organizing events. No. <laughs> no you put, if you guys ever do a conference or a seminar and you put men in charge, it's going <laughs> it's to a hard be no. a disaster. People are going to show up at the wrong conference center. <laughs> the chairs will be backwards facing the wall. Trust me. I honestly think, a little side note, I, I do think that you should have a company that has about 50-50 men and women. Not because necessarily of political correctness, but because... Humans are wired differently. Men and women are wired differently at a hormonal level. Doesn't mean men are better or whatever, but trust me, I've done blood tests on Maya, my cousin. I did testosterone test on myself. I've been doing it for two years every month. 
Maya did her testosterone. Her total testosterone was 30. 28. 28. Mine was 1,270. Ty was like, Maya, your test I, is I wrong. I was like, her test is wrong. Him. Let's mail it back. <laughs> and then the, the lab is like, no, women don't have a lot of total testosterone. Max is 83 for women. Yeah, max like, is, I mean, standard. some women have yes. more, like female bodybuilders. Some women take are on the juice, but- I'm not sure if a woman had 1,200 testosterone. First of all, should be looking lights for Russia in the Olympics. No, no, you will have a full beard. So if that's a goal, if you, you want know what, be- my second grade uh, teacher, I guess, then had a lot of testosterone. She had a beard. She, well, she had a goatee. Wow. She, I mean, she was you know in her sixties, late sixties. But <laughs> I'm just making a joke about an old teacher. It's not a true story. But you know what? I actually do. I I only want female editors for any like uh projects film projects i think females make the best editors there's a lot of classic films that were edited by women jaws i think citizen kane is jaws your reference you were what's a class it's iconic it it changed the trajectory of female editors it was only female but i i would uh no i mean there's good male editors i'm just saying i think women make the best editors because they're more empathetic and so if you're trying to tell a, a story and and get people involved emotionally, I think that stands to reason that women. Thank you for that, Zach. That was <laughs> well, very. I'd, I'd, I'd kill time while you were <laughs> texting. We like that. The number viewership went in half. Okay, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> Zach, I know how to hurt Zach's. Zach's self esteem is basically predicated on how many people laugh. One of the th- someone said Zach's hat is dumb. They don't like your hat. Wait, why? What oh, is that? Let me see. It's Cat's Deli. All right, let's get back. To, let's get back to business. So, influencer marketing was huge for you. Let's talk about a physical product. Some of you want to sell something that you need to get in stores, and you guys don't just sell on your website. You're also in stores. Seven Eleven, eighty five percent of our revenue or more yeah, is is from retail. other distributors. So, distribution. You can have a product. You can create it. I, a lot of the businesses I have, I'm able to distribute it through websites that we control and we do the marketing. But there's plenty of other ways to run a business. You're an expert in getting stores to distribute. How do you get in? If somebody here has a snack bar or a drink or something, you can't just go to 7-Eleven and Walmart and go, yo, sell my stuff. Because one of the keys is if you get shelf space at a 7-Eleven or Walmart, it's going to boost your sales. I don't care what your marketing is. Just the fact that you're in a thousand stores. So how do you get the foot in the door for somebody listening who wants to launch any kind of physical product business? All right, everybody, here we go. Lean <laughs> forward because I'm going to break it down for you. And this is this is the you gospel. You guys should be truth. paying me this for this. <laughs> All right, so step number one, you've got to make that killer product. Step number two, get it out to influencers. The reason you want to do that is they're going to begin talking to their marketplace. Your product really has to add value. But if it does, let them do contests and things like get this man here. <laughs> Instead of just giving away raw cash, you get them giving away your product. So it's going to cost you the cost of the product. Get it out there. Get a bunch of people doing that. Now, the magical thing that happens is people begin walking into the stores where they would expect it to be carried and asking, hey, where are the Quest Bars or whatever your product is? 
Now those stores at first, they don't think anything of it. Then two and three people a day are walking into the store. Then they start reaching out to you. Now first, because of what Ty just said, they know they're the kingmaker. They know that just by putting this on their shelves, that they're going to generate revenue for you. And the contract is going to reflect that. And that's how you <laughs> get fucked and you go out of business <laughs> because you're selling at such a slim margin that you can't survive. So now if that happens and you start growing rapidly, you realize, oh God, what we agreed to in terms of the profit margin doesn't work. I can't scale my business and now I'm stuck. That's where most businesses tap out. You live in the age of the internet. So what you're going to do is you're not going to fall prey to that very stupid mistake and you're going to keep when they keep coming and asking to have your product, you're going to say no. And I'm going to say you're going to say no for about a year and you're going to have to have discipline because you could be making more money in the short term, but you're going to say no and you're going to keep building online. You're going to evangelize your customers so that they don't just like you, they absolutely love you. They love everything about you. They love your customer support. They love all the content that you're creating, everything. You're adding value to them at every touch point. Then a year later, we literally at Quest, we hired somebody to say no in a better way. Really? Because we were like, oh shit, we're beginning to damage the relationship with these guys who are like, dude, if you don't come on our shelves, we're never coming back to you. I want to be very clear about that. So we hired somebody just to say no in a nicer way. How did they do that? Um, they had a longstanding relationship. So oh, okay. you end up hiring somebody that actually knows those customers. So it becomes the account manager. So for us, our big ones were like GNC, Vitamin Shop. And so you get people that have like 10, 15, 20 year relationship with that store. And you tell them, look, we're going to be saying yes, but we're going to need another six, 12 months, whatever that is. But we want you to begin building that relationship. And the whole goal of all of this is to get to the point where you have power and you can negotiate a contract that's fair. Not so that you can be the dick. You just want something that's fair. And so because we were able to do that, we were able to scale our business. We didn't have to take in outside equity, even though we grew by 57,000% in our first three years alone. That is a good. It's crazy, crazy. Good... And this is a manufacturing, dude. So we were buying like just millions of dollars of equipment. We had hundreds of thousands of square feet and it all happened in like a five-year period. It was absolute madness but we were only able to do that because we said no long enough to negotiate a contract that was fair how did you know to say no though um because we could you run the math it's like yeah. you look at it and go yeah okay my margin work. here is like 12 <laughs> yeah. percent like, right yeah. i'm in manufacturing like if i were just manufacturing and i didn't have any marketing or anything sure. like that then that'd be fine sure yeah. like a you know a, a co-man can can get by on that but a brand no way yeah so he's basically wanted... saying for somebody said damn he lost me let me explain what he's saying <laughs> A store, let's say 7-Eleven or GNC, they'll say, we'll buy these bars from you for 75 cents, and then we'll resell them for $2. Just making up a hype. So they're going to make a lot of profit. Let's say this bar cost him 70 cents to make. So they're squeezing you. They're going to give you 5 cents profit per bar. Then they're going to take the bar and go sell it for triple. And they, and they say, we're 7-Eleven. We have spent all this money on our brand. We've built these uh, physical locations in these franchises. So one of the cool things that uh, a man named Casanova, very famous, Giancova Casanova, the most famous, one of the most famous people in history, he said, be the flame, not the moth. Be the candle, not the moth. And that's really kind of the philosophy that Tom's saying is that when you, what you chase moves away from you. That's what Casanova was saying. What you chase moves away from you, and what you deny and say, ah, you know, it, it moves closer. It goes, wait a second. And I've found that in business networking, 
Um, one of the worst things you can do is be at a conference, see somebody you want to talk to and just buzz up to them and be like, oh my God, I've been wanting to, to meet you. You have to do it in a way where you are the flame and not and not just the moth that's actually pursuing. And so so you did that and it worked. It worked really, really well. And and one thing just to make this more universal for people going along with what you're saying is you got to play the long game. So let's take the example of you really want to meet somebody that let's say you want to meet Ty. And step one is not run up and introduce yourself to Ty. Step one is to, um, in an ideal scenario, you get somebody else who says, oh, Ty, you have to meet so-and-so, right. um, which, by the way, is exactly how I met Ty at Thrive. Um, somebody else went up to you and said, you need to meet Tom. And someone came up to me and said, you need to meet Ty. And so that's how we then came together. But both of us knowing at that moment where we met that like, that's the, the power exchange, right? That other people were brokering, um, that, that introduction. And so it's like, I get it. We may have been in the same place like a dozen times before that, but the setting wasn't right to meet as equals. And so you just don't meet. Most people, like, they can't bear it. They're convinced they're never going to meet again. So they just, like, rush up, and they don't make a great, in first, a great first impression. I had to learn this the hard way. I was the guy that used to show up for the first date. These are true stories. I really wish they weren't. But I would show up on the first date with, like, flowers and poems. Oh, dear. Oh, yes. Poems? You did yes. poems? I assure you this is real. And so because of that, there was very, very little getting laid. And so I was just like, this is a bad strategy, That's right? actually interesting. So, so just, did, the question, did yeah. the candle, I mean, sorry, did the poem ever work on a date? Not once. Did Not you? Once. Did you? Not on the first day, you got to be kidding! It's suicide. Did you do uh, uh, specific poems per date, or was it the same poem you just recycled? No, 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 my friend. So you made it I very. I was doing it from a truly authentic place. Like I would see somebody, I'd be into them, and I would really want to like show that. And you see in movies that that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to roll up the flowers. Somebody but... wrote ha 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 poems. That's all they wrote. That, and that well said, my friend. Well but now said. you're married. Yeah, so, so, so then, what strategy did you convert to? Did you then start seeing a girl you like at Starbucks, like your your future wife, and send a friend to over say to you them should and be meet like, Tom? You see that other guy getting coffee? You must meet him. <laughs> no, I literally, I ignored the shit out of her, and so and that worked. And it worked. So, do you want to know okay. what the very first line was that I said to the woman who would become my wife? Brace Ooh. yourself for this one. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna just show you the earmuffs. I'm ignoring you. <laughs> Remember, it worked. No, I said. Where do you think you're going? Sit your ass down. And okay. she sat, and then I knew. Where were you at Starbucks? Um, no, so we were. <laughs> that would be weird. Um, she was filming something. We were all, actually on the back lot of Universal. So we had a relationship. Those weren't the first words I said to her as a person. They were the first right. words I said to her in any sort of romantic advance. Zach, what's been your best? Zach is a Tinder and Bumble guy. I've never met somebody off Tinder, but I'm going to because I want to start getting these good stories that Zach has. Zach, <laughs> what is your best line that's gotten you married? Oh, no, you're not married. Sorry. Um, honestly, for a while there, I would go, hey, do you want to arm wrestle? Okay. That was... Maya groaned. I kid no. you not. It works. You know your line's not that good when women go, uh, I have, uh, I have evidence... To prove the contrary, it did you work. You mean that I, girl? I don't do it now. Uh, this is ten years ago, like on on uh, Match dot com or something. This isn't last week. Oh, you would te you would email them. That's, do you yeah, want that's to back arm in the wrestle? Day. Yes. No, but I'm saying all the women that were saying yes. Which women are saying yes to? Do you want to arm <laughs> <Maya wrestle? Downs. laughs> The ones that get it's just a joke and it's a silly opener. It's not a legitimate request. 
Those are the ones. <laughs> we have two Leos here slightly offending each other. <laughs> also, how are your morals? That works pretty oh, well. How are your morals so is actually wow. kind of a funny joke that Zach says. I will tell you, I'm sure I can tell you the best pickup line in the world. If you learn about astrology and you walked up to a woman and you say, if you tell me what day of the year you're born, I'll tell you what career you should choose and everything about your future. Promise you, this is not a joke. People will turn around. Men don't like to talk about astrology, but for some reason, a lot of women do. So that's my tip. Um, I'm not sure about the wrestling or sit down. but No, no, no uh, but. actually, I, I bring up, this is crazy. I'm on a crazy streak with uh, guessing the signs on Tinder. Like, yes. I'll say, you know, hello, yeah. or if it's Bumble, they have to message you first. And I write back immediately saying or guessing what their sign is. Where'd you and get that idea? Right now... <laughs> I, um, Armand, <laughs> but no, I've been killing it off of guessing. Trust me, it, it works. They get all excited. Even if you too, get dude. it wrong, they, it, people like to. You know, I was reading a one of the greatest, I think, the smartest man of the modern world, and a lot of people disagree with me, but they've never actually read his words. Was Sigmund Freud? Sigmund Freud. Just trust me. Even though some of his theories of Oedipus complex and all these have been discredited. He's the founder of modern psychology. Anytime you found an entire <laughs> subject in, in, in university, you're pretty smart. And he is a gene. Trust me. Read Civilization's Discontents. I've read you know, most of the philosophers, the great thinkers, and I've never read somebody by Kim. But one of the things that he says is who we fall in love with. So this is a good marketing tip if you're building a business because a lot of people love Quest Bars. You you have people with a love relationship, not everybody. Ty's brother Ben, my brother has a loves relationship him. with Quest He's Park. definitely yeah. My brother is like a huge evangelist, an apostle for. So you can, you can use this in any this this principle. What what Sigmund Freud said is that, um, in order to get love, he so he talked about the Bible where Jesus Christ said, "Love your neighbor, love your enemy as yourself." And Sigmund Freud said he didn't think that made sense, but he because he said. Love is something valuable to you. You don't have that much time. You can't love everybody on the planet equally, right? You don't have time to help all 7 billion people. So he said, humans have this decision to make. Like, who will you put your real love in terms of time, energy, effort, and so on? And he said, what do we look for? And it's very interesting. I was just rereading re this yesterday. He said, the ultimate thing we look for is something that reminds us of ourselves. People fall in love with themselves because... Freud is one of the first people to talk about this narcissism. And so I think when you're marketing a bar like Quest Bar or you're like Zach. Marketing Tinder, yourself. Marketing himself on Tinder. There has to be some deep sub psychological, hey, that, that vibes with what I already believe. So marketing, like you said, you got these influencers who were pro bodybuilders. They weren't people who were 300 pounds overweight that were used to eating Reese's pieces all the day because when they looked at Quest Bar, they didn't see themselves, their world. In this case, it wouldn't be literally themselves. It'd be their worldview. And so you start in marketing with people who already have your worldview, and they fall in love with you. And then over time, you've been able to evangelize out into. So let's talk about this. First year, how many bars are you selling roughly a day? 
Um, not a lot. So I, I don't know how the math works out, but we made less than a quarter of a million our first year. So you make less than 250,000. And now your, your sales numbers aren't public now. Yeah. We don't report them, but, um, but hundreds you did and hundreds and hundreds of millions. So now it went from 250,000 in the first year to conceivably, you know, over 250 million. Let's just say definitely over that. Yeah. Well over that. How did that feel? Did it freak you out? What'd you have to learn? Did you have to learn to get new bank accounts? Did you have to learn to get financial advisors? Let's talk. I want people listening to not only know about the quote unquote grind, because that's talked about a lot. Oh, you got to grind. You got to, but also about some of the cool stuff that happens. So what is some of the cool stuff that happens to your life so that people who are struggling now can see light at the end of the tunnel? Like, do you remember the day where you had? You know, you had a million dollars. Did and you, you just could... steal a Quest bar, Zach? Zach's stealing bars. No, I'm opening it silently. <laughs> what What are some of the cool events from like a financial standpoint that happened to you? Well, the coolest was when we did sell a small piece of the company. Um, you're hitting refresh on your bank account and you go from, you know, a normal salary to all of a sudden refresh, refresh, refresh. And there's a lot of commas and zeros in your account. That, that was a pretty <laughs> surreal moment uh, because it wasn't like, oh, you know, it's 30 years of first I'm making 50,000, then 100,000, then 500,000, then a million, then 1.5. You know, it was like right. literally I went from having a good but normal salary to like, holy fuck, I'm rich. <laughs> Yeah. So, and in literally from one refresh to the next. That's like Mark Cuban. If you've seen my video, Mark Cuban was over here playing basketball and I was talking about getting rich and he's like, I stayed up all night, didn't go to bed, refresh, refresh. And, he, and it went to a billion. He was a billionaire. Uh, a buddy, this week I was in Vegas with a friend of mine and he's on the Forbes list. He's one of the richest. He's actually richer than Mark Cuban. And he's like. I hope Mark Cuban isn't listening. He won't like that. Mark didn't care. Mark got plenty of money. Um, he basically, my friend's like, dude, I had no, I mean, he sold his company for $5 billion cash, and he owned basically all of it. So he made maybe $4.1 billion uh, cash, and it was not U.S., so not too much taxes. So he goes, it, it, I forget the word. I was having sushi with them, and what was the word? It was just kind of what you said. It was kind of like unfathomable. He did, never went into it being like, okay, we're going to build this business. It's an online business. We're going to build this, and then we're going to sell it for $5,000 million because that's what it was. $5 billion is $5,000 million. So what is the biggest myth of entrepreneurship and business ownership that you started think you started out with in your brain in 2010? Warren Buffett says every year, you must get rid of one long-standing belief. And I would add to that, every year you have to kick somebody out of your social circle that you used to hang out with and add a better person. Not better, but more congruent with your philosophy. Better looking. <laughs> That's why I ended up with Zach after all these years. I've been going for looks, and Zach is the final culmination of looks. No, but Tom, what what's the biggest myth you had to throw out in the last seven years? Um, that there are limits to what you can figure out. So I think that now the guiding principle in my universe is I can learn to do anything, anything. So, and when you look at the living embodiment of this, it's Elon Musk, right? Yeah. So it goes in, oh, I want to get to Mars, but no one's built a rocket. I guess I'll have to learn rocket science. Like yes. that's so amazing to me. And when we went into it, we didn't think we were going to be marketers. That was it. We're going to market this protein bar. And when we realized we had to be our own manufacturers, my first reaction was panic. 
it was like, I don't know anything about that. Like, and I thought that I was like a pretty hardened entrepreneur by that point. And looking at that was like, Jesus, I don't know anything about leasing commercial real estate. I don't know anything about the equipment. Like you gotta be joking. Engineering. I know nothing about it. The thought of wearing a hairnet every day in a lab coat and doing that like was so beyond foreign to me. And, but literally in the span of like, I'm not kidding, 15 minutes went from, okay, this is crazy. And I don't want to do this to it's the only way forward. And so am I really going to chicken out? And so, you know, behavior is driven by identity and my identity is not to back down from stuff like that. So we said, yeah, let's do it. And then figured it out. And that was sort of the last thing is like, I'll never again say I can't figure something out. There's the vast, you know, amount of knowledge out there. I don't know. But once I turn my focus to it, I can make it my own. I can become excellent. I can become one of the best in the world at whatever I set my mind to. So mentors, let's talk about that. Nobody, even though sometimes weird people argue with me on this, <laughs> you don't need mentors. Every, I have not, I have yet to meet somebody who did great things uh, who can't directly attribute at least some of their success, some of their direction from somebody who went before. I just posted a, a video on my Instagram, a little clip of me with Kobe Bryant um, after one of his last games of the season last year. I sat next to him on the bench and then I went back in the locker room. And I asked him, like, do you have mentors? And he just immediately goes, oh, yeah, Ty. He goes, well, first of all, I had Magic Johnson. I had Michael Jordan. Then he he mentioned Bob Iger, you know, the, the Disney CEO. He brought up Phil Jack. He had a lot. He kept going. And I said, why is that important? And he said, well, you have to learn from people who created greatness before you. Or else you reinvent the wheel. I can't tell you how many people come up to me and they're like, dude, I invented a wheel. We can put it on a car and it will roll. It's going to be so cool. I, and here's this prehistoric stone. And they're like, you want to put this on your Ferrari? I'm like, dude, they invented a wheel a long time ago. They perfected it. Now they have badass, like Ferraris and Lambos have these badass tires. I drove a Bugatti. I don't have a Bugatti, but I drove one. And they have these tires. They're like 20, I forget what their massive tire. So I want to tell those people, yo, you could have just learned from the people who already created tires. Why are you going to waste 40 years of your life? So for you, uh, even though you pioneered some stuff, there was nobody to fully look up to, whether authors, whether parents, whether business people that have made an impact on your life and who are they? Yeah, no question. So uh, the most profound mentors in my life have been authors uh, for sure. I owe Stephen King. I know that's an odd answer. We were talking about this. Um, a debt of gratitude, big time. Uh, in fact, if anybody listening right now, I'm going to hijack this interview. If you know <laughs> Stephen King uh, and can get him to come on my show, man. Oh God, I really want to interview. He will guy. give you a quest bar. I, I will give you. Have you ever tried reaching out to bars. him? Oh, I sent him an iPad with a custom <laughs> message from me on it explaining how he touched my life. Um, and why it was so important. So I used to think I didn't like reading. And when I was like 12 or 13, my dad said, look, read this one more book and I'll never bother you again. If you don't like to read after this book, then I'm just going to leave it alone. And he handed me the gunslinger, which is the first book in the dark tower series. And I read it. And to this day, I remember the opening line and it, it showed me that everyone likes to read. You just don't know, like you don't know what you like to read yes. about. And so that took me down. I read exclusively fiction for a very long time, but then getting good at reading and not feeling awkward anymore then led me to nonfiction. And so um, Joseph Campbell 
changed my life at a huh. deep and fundamental level. Okay. Um, very much so. I will attribute much of my success in marriage to Joseph Campbell and the way that he made me conceptualize what it was. Um, so that's been massive. Um, my wife has been a huge mentor for me. My business partners were huge mentors for me. Um, yeah, between, between those three, like in face-to-face -face mentorship, those have been the most profound. But then I read not as much as you. Normally, like I can say I read more than everybody in the room, but fuck you for the book a day thing. <laughs> Uh, so I'm a book a week kind of cat. That's um, still good. No, no. I, I'm the average CEO it. reads 50 plus books per year. I have a yeah. company, MentorBox. I'm a co-founder. Go check out MentorBox.com because we help you read as fast as you possibly can. We have tools. We'll send you books in the mail or you can log in and go through stuff. Stephen King... Did you see Gunslinger? Did you? I mean, did you see Dark the Dark I Tower? Did, What'd I you did. think? Were you disappointed? Um, Stephen, you know I love you, uh, <laughs> but the movie was an atrocity. It was an atrocity. And Ty, you went to, to the, the point, premiere of that. I right? went to the premiere. I got to meet Matt McConaughey back before the thing, and we walked over to his movie with him, and then he left before his movie. Dude, listen, Matt even McCon Matt McConaughey didn't want to watch <laughs> Dark no, Tower. Matt, he literally this Matt McConaughey has a crazy life. He flew from. Africa. He's shooting a movie in Africa. He said, don't tell anybody the name, but he's shooting a movie in Africa. He got on a jet, flew to New York City, did a meet and greet with me and a couple people. That's did, it. Well, well, went to, he walked the red carpet. No, like walked the red carpet, the didn't watch a movie, got on a jet and went back to oh, God. Africa. <laughs> I'm like, wow. He's a hardworking guy, very smart. I asked him that question. Too about mentors and key dates, and he told me some interesting stuff. I haven't did I post that video yet? I have so many cool videos I have yet to post, like my Elon Musk conversation. Um, but the movie something was wrong. What was Idris Elba is a badass. I love him. Matt McConaughey is a great actor. What did they do wrong with that movie? Yeah. So the number <laughs> of things that that they did wrong are buckle in. Um, so in. It's not a story that you can jump around on. So it's uh, whatever seven book series. It's the magnum opus of his life. And they tried to hedge their bet. We don't know if this is going to be a series. We don't know if we should try to do it as a standalone film. So the opening film, it's it's all character driven. Like you've got to buy into the code that Idris Elba's character, Roland Deschain, lives by, which I was telling you, Maya, like it changed my life. Like the fact that I live by a code now, the code of ethics I was talking about earlier, that like exact the whole told you to having a code of ethics came from huh. the um, the gunslinger. So like that really left an impression on me. So you've got to get behind like Roland of Gilead has this belief system by which he lives, which governs the code of his life. And so he goes into a town and there's this whole thing. If they ask for help, he has to give it. But once they ask, they can't take it back. And like the whole movie's predicated on that drama. And by the way, in the book, spoiler alert, if you haven't read the book, fucking stop listening right now. I know you hate that, <laughs> but like a spoiler, spoiler to the book in the book, this guy is so hell bent because it's a treatise on like ambition and determination. He is so determined to save the world and get to the dark tower that in the book, um, the gunslinger, he, he kills the little kid, the, the kid, the main kid in the book. And in the movie, of course they chicken out. They don't show it. Don't talk about it. Nothing. I was mortified. So when they do the whole, remember the face of your father, which in the book is amazing. And in the movie was horrifying and embarrassing. <laughs> uh, and I could go on, but I won't. Uh, so but, your yeah. biggest issue is that they didn't kill a child. No, my biggest thing is like, to, <laughs> if you're going to do a treatise on what the books, the themes in the book are about ambition, like how far are you willing to go? Right. And Kill in, children. 
Yes. <laughs> okay. And and truthfully, it's, Jones, done, right? it's done so well because he's holding this kid like I think if I remember, it's like a, a, the, a cavern in a well uh, in a cave or something. And he, he can't like get the kid back up and like to save himself, he has to let the kid go. And so the kid looks at him and it's that movie or the, the book doesn't have like a lot of magic in it. And in that moment, right, this kid from New York who like magically appears in this weird world and you're like, what the hell is going on? How's this kid from New York? This is so weird. And the kid looks at him because he knows he has to let him go. And he says, don't worry, Roland, there are other worlds than these. And, and then he lets him go. And you're like, what does that mean? And that's like the end of the book. And so then, like you're desperate. Oh God, it's so good. So, so we. I hope. Just... I hope in the moment of death, I can remember that line. <laughs> I want to look at everybody that's surrounding my bed. Don't worry, everybody. There are other worlds in this. Yes. You no know, other worlds to explore. I thought you said. Well, I've learned a couple of things. A lot of things from this talk here. We're going to wrap up, but one of them is, if I can get Tom to meet Stephen King. He will forever be grateful. I will. He will give us a quest great. bar. Yeah, you guys can count on it. For a life. I, want, I want more than a damn quest, quest bar. Bars. I already got those at my house. Hey, will you do a Neapolitan type of a quest bar that's like, you know, vanilla chocolate, chocolate chip, strawberry? The, the raspberry. The funny thing, from a production standpoint, that would be a nightmare. Oh, really? A nightmare. It's got a, it's uh, what's called extrusion. So, um, or you could, so you have two types. We actually have two types of bars. These are um, just rolled flat. And so it's like all mush and it's just um, pancaked out basically. So getting anything to be um, done like that, unless you're doing extrusion, but then extruding like three separate pieces and then putting them back together. Oh, God. I'm just saying briars can do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with yeah, a lot of sugar. And hey, look, what did I just say? Like 10 minutes ago, I can figure anything out, right? So Somebody said, I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just asking, <laughs> is it going to be worth the effort? Someone commented, oh, God, please help Zach out. I don't know what they're referring to. All right, let's one, one last little business thing before we wrap up. In terms of, did you raise capital? Um, not in the beginning. So uh, yeah. if I lost people with my earlier explanation, this is really going to confuse them. But we did some mezzanine debt yep. um, in the beginning. And that was helpful. That let us grow a little bit. But it was very small. It was like $1.4 million. Or Just so you guys like know what, mezzanine, it there's different bridge capital. Basically, when they were growing, they got a company to give them a loan. That's basically a loan where it's like, hey, we get some equity, but if yes. you pay it back really fast, we get less equity. Yeah. Um, so it's actually a really great device, by the way, especially if you can live with the, hey, let's say we don't pay them back ahead of schedule. And so the full equity goes to them. Are we still okay with that? And if you are, then it's tremendous. And so it was really, really great. Uh, ended up being a, just a great ongoing relationship for us. Really, really like the people that we did that with. Uh, but that was it. So how did and, you get it? For somebody watching who wants to get mezzanine financing or get some startup capital if you were doing it all over again do you just start calling people do you go uh, you, to friends of friends could. so we with the success that we were having we could have just cold called and we would have been fine and so the joke in raising money is you can get money when you don't need it yes um and we didn't need it and so it was very easy to get money back at the technology company we needed money and it was hard as hell to get so. that's because be the flame not the moth it's kind of like, like the second you too. get in a relationship Everybody wants to date you. You're like, wait a second. Where were you six months ago? So that's a great. So capital came to you. It was a good experience. Just for some of you know, sometimes people have horrific experiences. So I want to thank all of you for being here. This will be live on my podcast. Remember what Tom said, where you should get your self-esteem from is not from always being right, but being from somebody who learns. The great Charlie Munger said, 
The secret to life is to be a lifelong learner. Be a learning machine and you'll do fine. All right. Thanks so much. Talk to you guys soon. Peace.